The Cannabis and Home Grow Show is sponsored by AeroClean 420 and Aero Home Hobby, the industry leader in air purification in cannabis cultivation. Visit AeroClean420.com and PreventPowderyMildew.com to learn more about their cutting-edge technology that has proven effective across commercial grows for over seven years. You won't regret it. is California's leading cannabis nursery, offering over 100 plus varieties of premium genetics. From new strains to classics and exotics, there's something for everyone. Home growers and farmers can learn more at darkheartnursery.com. Greetings, cannabis community. You're listening to the Cannabis and Home Grow Show. I'm Mark Eden, and today's guests are Alicia and Chris Ratliff. Alicia is a cannabis scientist, and she's many, many years. Her partner, Chris, is up to all kinds of things. And I, I would love to first, um, Alicia, who was your husband? How did he become your business partner? And how did you become a cannabis scientist? Lay it on us. Sure. Well, thank you so much, Mark, for having both of us today. I'm really excited to, to speak with you a little bit about uh, what we do and my husband and Victus and all of that. So thank you. Um, just to get kind of into it. So my husband, Chris, is uh, absolutely amazing mentor and supporter and uh, life partner. We've been together now for 11 years and we've been married for six and we have two beautiful children. Um, but just to kind of get into what he does uh, specifically alongside with me is just um, really coach a lot of uh, my career decisions and things that I've done um, over the past four and a half years working in cannabis. Um, I was not a, an avid cannabis consumer when I got into this industry and my husband was a happy consumer and he had a lot of passion for the plant, what it can do, how to grow it, uh, how to market and just all of these different things that um, really helped to fill in the holes of uh, the knowledge that I have, which is a lot more technical on the scientific side, as you said. So um, I think that really kind of sums up uh, how he got to be partner in the, the half of me. <laughs> Yeah. So what's the name of your consulting uh, firm? Capital Ventures. All right. And what exactly do you uh, do? Well, we, we do a lot. Um, we actually started Victus last year. Um, really, it came out of just us sitting down, putting our heads together and thinking about all of the different companies that we had helped to build out uh, from the ground floor up and, and seeing how they would make decisions that weren't necessarily in the best interest of their growth uh, towards the future. So we, we started thinking about, you know, what is it that we can do with our knowledge base to help other people um, kind of dodge these potholes in this business of thinking that you can just, you know, go into it, uh, really jump and hit the ground running and, and not hit a lot of these issues and obstacles that we've watched a lot of companies hit. Um, so Victus is a consultancy firm where we essentially help to consult on any part of your business plan um, from whether you are in license approvals and, or you have just gained a license in a, in a market, whether that's medical, adult use, um, hemp-based only. Um, we really specialize with taking people from, you know, the inception of their license and really visualizing their business plan into 
actually executing those operations and turning on machines and giving them um, SOPs to run those machines, helping them find uh, the team and the technicians that are going to drive their business forward. And um, just looking at product development, if they're in a market where they're a consumer facing business, uh, we develop products. We um, help to develop methods on the analytical side for testing labs. Uh, so there's quite a lot that Victus covers. That's fantastic. And you had a science background. You were a chemist for 14 years before you delved into cannabis. What was your journey as a oh, scientist man. like? Um, I've always been, uh, I call myself a nerdy scientist. Um, I really, really loved uh, dealing with molecules and things back in high school. And um, I actually wanted to go to medical school, but I thought to myself, once I got into that second year of college, oh my God, I can't do another 10 years of this. So I've got to figure something out. Um, I really gravitated towards chemistry. And when I got out of school, I started in um, an environmental laboratory where I was working with EPA methods and working with big, um, you know, consulting firms and uh, construction engineering firms that would build uh, malls and schools and Walmarts and things like that. And we did all the testing um, for their soil and water um, before they would start construction of those facilities. Um, so I got a lot of my extraction experience from that role. Um, and then I did run um, instruments as well with analyzing for um, very small compounds and molecules in the water and in the soil to see if they would have a problem or if they would need to remediate that land before they decide to build. Um, so then after that, I jumped into um, a role where I was managing projects for a um, agrochemical contract analytical laboratory where we worked with um, big CROs like Bayer, Syngenta, BASF to help them with studies of what their products would do um, with crops. Um, that would include, you know, products like Roundup that you see on your, your typical shelf. We would run studies on those um, items to see how long are these items going to be stable? What's going to happen to the chemistry within uh, the product and just different things like that. And in that role, um, it was pretty interesting. I was outside of the laboratory. I was actually working more in a business aspect um, to where I was liaising between the customers and the clients and the laboratory staff. So I was um, essentially in charge of uh, writing up all of the, the scope of services for the clients and managing the budget, managing the timelines, but also interpreting all of the data that was coming back off of the instruments um, and writing up all of those technical reports and submitting them uh, to the technical agencies for them, um, different regulatory bodies over in the EU and also regulatory bodies here in the U.S. with the, the EPA, FDA, um, and different things like that. Um, and then, you know, just working within those roles, I, I honestly just did not feel very fulfilled. I, I felt like I was a jobber. I felt like I was going in and punching a clock and, you know, essentially just following someone else's program. And one day I just, you know, I went home and I told Chris about my experiences and I was just like, you know, there's just something not very impactful about what I do day to day. And I actually had the opportunity to just be in the right place at the right time while I was looking for another another role. And that's when I stepped into cannabis and it really just changed my entire trajectory in my career. It changed my life. Um, and I really, really love that I made that decision. Yeah, you've really become a an extraction yeah, artist. I, I did. I, I started out, you know, um, really when I jumped into it, I started working for one of the first licenses out of Florida. Um, Florida's program started in uh, 2016. 
And I, you know, took the role on as a laboratory director, thinking that I was going to go into this startup that, you know, was a building and just needed some equipment, needed some, you know, TLC. But I walked into a freshly demoed area that was literally nothing but dirt. And I looked up at, you know, the VP of ops at the time. And I was just like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? And he was like, well, this is where we build out a facility and we start up a new, you know, extraction program. And I had no idea um, about any of it. So I had to learn really quickly how to read blueprints, how to manage uh, subcontractors and general contractors and um, really understand the layout and how that was going to affect um, my staff and my team. And, you know, it was just such a, a complex endeavor, um, but it was so intriguing and it really, it challenged me in so many ways uh, from what I was not used to in the lab. Um, so I really, you know, once I got that, that facility off the ground, it took about uh, four to six months to finish out all the build out and, and get the equipment placed and hire the team. Um, I had a small staff of about 12 chemists and I was the only one that had um, any sort of experience outside of, you know, the lab um, in extraction and all these different things. So um, I was the one that trained on extraction and I started out with uh, CO2 extraction, which is highly technical. Um, and I really, really started to fall in love with it. Just the, the technique itself, the methodology, the equipment, um, understanding thermodynamics and, and running those pieces of equipment. Um, and now, you know, four and a half years later, I've pretty much done every single extraction method except for using uh, butane and propane. And one of the reasons for that is just, you know, I haven't been in markets where that's allowed, but um, it's also, it can be dangerous too. So, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, Chris, I just heard you. Yeah, hey, uh, Chris, how did you get involved? Why did you get involved? Were you surprised when she came home and was receptive to yeah, absolutely. cannabis? I was actually a part of the influence that, that was driving that forward. <laughs> So, you know, to back up a little bit, you know, when she was working in that analytical lab, you know, she was doing quite a bit, you know, and, and, you know, like Rick James say, or is it James Brown? I think it's James Brown said, you know, it's a man's world. Um, and that's, that's very true, unfortunately. And um, whenever there's a, a hard hitter like Alicia that knocks it over the fence almost every time, you know, that, that little boy's baseball team mentality comes in of like, oh, you know, the girl can't be better than me. Well, guess what, dude? She is. Um, yeah. For or real. a girl can't that be in charge. Um, so, you know, she got her own project management professionals license and uh, they didn't really want to recognize that, you know, trying to gaslight her. You know, that's like a big thing I've noticed in the corporate world is gaslighting that's like the main tool of staying on top and keeping someone's growth and salary down and i just told her point blank quit you yeah. know and and and, a, and there's a there's this big pride cloud that follows everybody around in their professional life that says well i can't quit i gotta stick through it because that makes me a hard ass no it doesn't it kind of makes you hard-headed um and you know and yeah I've told yeah, people they yeah, need to quit man. before, um, too. If it's time to go, it's time to go. You know, I'm pretty sure that God's got something waiting for you on the other side of this fence. The grass might not be greener yet, but when you get to working on it, it just might be. And so she went ahead and she quit. Um, like she said, she ran into the just perfect timing. Um, I was trying to convince her to go ahead and take this role. 
uh, to help build out this cannabis lab and everything. And the whole goal was to learn, to get some experience so that we can use both of our experience to go ahead and start our own company to help people uh, like investors and stakeholders build from the ground up. Because my, my background is in commercial and home renovations and a little bit of entrepreneurship. I say a little bit of entrepreneurship because in Jacksonville, Florida, if you're raised by the right people, you, you, you don't have a pocket full of talent. You have like an entire truck bed full of talents and you can get around really quick. You can kind of get bored mastering one craft or the other. And so I've done a lot of things. And uh, the last thing I did right before I started... Um, kind of being Alicia's coach and helper and holding her purse for her. I don't mind doing any of that. <laughs> uh, before I did that, you know, I was doing uh, aviation maintenance for the government and I got to do some really cool and interesting projects. And I was a primary hazmat handler reporting to the EPA um, and asbestos abatement supervisor, as well as working with engineers and fabricating parts for our warfighters and helicopters. Um, and, and, I, and I, too, had the same experience, just people trying to block you, um, just waking up, not really feeling like I was fulfilling my purpose. And, um, and so one day I came home and I told Alicia the same thing she told me. I said, Alicia, I'm going to quit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, my God, Mark, it was such an interesting time, too, because we had, you know, obviously here I am transitioning out of what I've known for the last, you know, seven you know, eight years into something completely new. And here he is transitioning into, you know, I, I'm ready to start our company. Let's let's do this. And we had just had our son. He was about three months old. We had just bought a house. I mean, there was just so many factors that would tell you, no, you need to stay at your job miserable. You need to stay at your job miserable. Um, but for us, you know, we, we really care about each other's happiness. And, you know, you only have so much time, you know, in your life to, to yeah. use, you know, so it's like, why, why sit there and be miserable for many years of your life that you can never get back? Why not just try and risk it? Yes. So true. So that's how I came so to true. the picture. Um, and excuse me if I'm um, kind of a little too loud. I, I, I have a very projecting voice. <laughs> Perfect. No, you're not loud. You're not loud. <laughs> not, not yet. Um, you know, diversity and inclusion, we've talked about that in the past, the three of us. And, you know, next to your, your cannabis science consulting, it seems like that's your second biggest project in the works, or at least you're, you're really passionate about the matter, you do some public speaking on it. Um, maybe you could tell me a little bit about this, this thing called diversity and inclusion. Well, Mark, uh, you know, I wrote an article for the Cannabis Scientist magazine about diversity and inclusion, and I titled it Exploitation and Illusion. And, and I did that for a reason, because I feel like right now, especially with the, uh, the climate that the, the country is in socially, companies um, like I remember Gucci got in trouble because they, they put the blackface on a sweater and it was extremely inappropriate. But what, what I think goes over a lot of people's heads is, is the, the exploitation part where maybe an all-white company will use uh, an actual black person's face on their marketing for the illusion that they're diverse or the illusion that they're progressive 
or mm. the illusion that they're 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 inclusive in their business practices. But if you go and you look at their board, you look at the stakeholders, you look at, you know, what are they doing for the community? Are they a cheerful giver? Do they do any of those things? And the answer is no. Um, and, and my direct relationship with diversity and inclusion, um, uh, I am Freemason, uh, the Prince Hall affiliation, and most of my brothers are African-Americans. And me being a white male, uh, they diversified their lodge by including me uh, with open arms. Oh, wow. And so, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, right, right. Oh, I just said, and oh, so, wow. Um, I'm directly connected with diversity and inclusion. I know what it looks like. I know what it feels like. And I know what it doesn't look like. Mm -hmm. um, and so when it comes to the cannabis side of it, you know, primarily you have, you know, and it's no fault of a lot of people's, okay? But, but, but it is a fault of the overall stigma of most of the people in the boardrooms, the stakeholders making millions of dollars, pushing thousands of pounds of cannabis are Caucasian. And in a lot of states, if you look at the, the data that is given, because a, a lot of the data can't even be given, it's a four to one arrest ratio of African-Americans to Caucasians for cannabis possession. That's, that's a big problem to me. So you're willing mm -hmm. to include people into yeah. your boots on the ground bias of arrest. Because, I mean, I, I've, I've, I've been encountered with police as a white male and maybe I did or didn't have something with me. <laughs> and the cop just said, throw it on the ground and get your ass out of here. But most of my African-American friends, they don't fare out so well with that. Right. No, nah, yeah. Nah, yeah, they nah. would never and, do that. And, and that yep. lays a big guilt on my heart. And like I said, that's no, that's no fault of mine, but it is a fault of the system and, uh, and, and of what's actually happening out here. So, you know, and there's things to do about it. What is there to do about it? Well, you know, that, that's, a, that's an even longer podcast and conversation, but. You know, I, and I think Alethea can attest to mm -hmm. some of the um, some of the problem with it that she's encountered. You know, oh, personally. yeah, yeah. If, if I can, Mark, just from from my perspective, um, like you said, diversity and inclusion um, in this family is extremely important. Um, you know, when when we opened up Victus, it, it was definitely um, in response to a lot of my personal grievances within the industry. Um, you know, I've been victim of uh, just malpractice in the industry, victim of misrepresentation of companies and what their what their motives are when they're hiring people, uh, displacement of families so that they can just get the talent that they need for, you know, a couple of months and then, you know, kick them out of the door. Um, we've been victim of all of that. Uh, in this industry. So, so for me, it's, it hasn't been a very uh, rosy experience. It's been great um, as far as my nerdy science goes, because, you know, I'm, I'm able to play in the lab. I'm able to mentor people. I'm able to train um, and just really learn and expound upon a lot of the technical knowledge that I, that I've already had and, and be able to build that. But when it comes to feeling included, you know, at the executive level, I've held you know, laboratory management roles, and I've held roles, um, you know, at the director level, and now, you know, hopefully going to hold a role within the C-level here soon. 
Um, there's not a lot of people that look like me that sit in the boardroom. And that's just, you know, something that I've encountered now for the past four and a half years. And it can be a bit discouraging, you know, to, to think that you have to kind of, you know, climb this uphill battle uh, with, you know, finding people who are relatable to you uh, within the same, within the same industry, within the same company. Um, but what I find I encounter typically is the boys club. And, you know, a lot of the diversity that I've seen in this industry has been heavily on the retail side. I've seen quite a few, you know, African-American owned businesses that are dispensaries. I've seen um, a lot of non-plant touching and ancillary businesses um, that are, you know, African-American owned and minority owned and, um, you know, women owned. Uh, but when you talk about the cultivators, when you talk about the processors and manufacturers, the guys that are out here making millions and millions of dollars, it is typically uh, Caucasian males. And a lot of the time, um, you know, in my experience, I've witnessed being, you know, hired onto a company's firm to essentially be their lead scientist. And I have to hold the hand of my boss, you know, the CEO or the COO, because they don't have any type of technical background. They don't understand um, the operation as a whole and, and how it affects business. Yeah. And a lot of the time I'm overlooked or my voice is you know, patronized or there's hostile questions about decisions that I make. And it's typically just this boys club that I encounter. Um, so you know, part of our initiative you know, at Victus with diversity and inclusion is to do what we're doing today um, raise awareness about right. what is really going on in the industry and really break down a lot of what the companies out here are trying to portray is the norm, um, specifically on the product manufacturing side, because, you know, from my experience, it hasn't been uh, very inclusive. It's, it's, it's been very exploitative, you know, like, like my husband says. And there is that illusion that, you know, a lot of companies are now trying to pivot to including a lot more uh, minorities and females into board level roles and uh, C-level roles because they feel like they have to um, now that the well, social yeah, climate's Stan changed. Goldman Sachs said that they're going to stop taking people oh, yeah. public. They're going to stop taking companies public unless they uh, obtain a piece of diversity mm -hmm. in their boardroom. Mm -hmm. And if you read between the lines of what they deem is um, diversity, that's extremely translatable and Hey, it, it's BS. It, it's just a bunch of BS. More exploitation and more illusion. Mm -hmm. Well, so you think that there's some progress in the retail category of cannabis? I do. I do. And, and cultivation. It, it's coming up in cultivation. It too. is coming up in cultivation. And honestly, I think the reason that it's been so heavy on, you know, one side than the other um, is that investment piece. I feel as if, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to for, you know, African-Americans or minorities um, to be able to gain license in horizontal markets where they don't have to come out of pocket, you know, for that upfront cost of the license and build out and starting up the operation in millions and millions of dollars. When you have, you know, you have different markets where you can gain a license for five thousand dollars, twelve thousand dollars. And that's a lot more attainable um, for people of color. Um, who are not necessarily gaining the investment backing of a lot of these larger MSOs. You know, you have investors that specifically are only investing in less than 5% um, of, you know, minority or women-owned businesses when it comes to the production side. 
Um, so that I think really, it really drives uh, home why it's a little bit heavier on the retail side, because it's just a little bit, it's a little bit more attainable, um, in my opinion. You know, when you're looking at Florida, when Florida got started with the, the five major licenses that were awarded, it was a vertically integrated model. So when you talk about building a cultivation facility that's going to house thousands of plants, a manufacturing facility to be able to process and produce and infuse those products and then dispensaries underneath that umbrella, you're easily at 25 to $50 million. Yeah, closer to 50 and 60. Easily. And, and that's not um, as attainable for um, communities that are underserved. They may not have the resources to those investment groups. They may not um, understand the language that needs to be on their business plan to be able to approach those types of investors. Um, there's just so many different factors there. There's a lot of layers. There's a lot of layers. Yeah, there certainly is. And you're very informed about all these matters. I'm really impressed. Do you do, do doing some public speaking soon? Um, do you address diversity inclusion? Um, I know you're going to be at the, the STEM yes. conference. So we, um, again, like I said, opportunities like this, um, really help with our initiative of being able to spread the awareness of what's really going on in the industry. So, um, you know, I've now since 2019, I've been a public speaker. I've spoken on uh, multiple conference panels um, just in, you know, technical uh, aspects of, you know, extraction, build out, project management, supply chain management, different things like that. Um, but because I am a woman of color, I always like to, um, you know, just try to bring some sort of commentary in about diversity, um, because I think it's so important, um, not just from, you know, a, an ethnic standpoint, but just from a, a background standpoint. I mean, I've hired and managed multiple teams of people that I, I really, truly feel need to have that diversity when it comes to, you know, a, a manufacturing lab. You need to have chemists, you need to have biologists, you need to have um, physicists that understand thermodynamics. Right. You need to have people who are great with sales and social media presence. Um, there's just so much that can be gained um, from diversity. And uh, as you mentioned, uh, my next public speaking engagement will be with uh, Westchester University um, of Pennsylvania. They're having a conference that's specifically about diversity and inclusion in STEM workplaces um, and how it's lacking. So I'm really excited to be a part of that conference. Um, it's going to be really engaging to speak with uh, students and help them understand how to um, maximize their entry into uh, the industry, whether it's this industry or any type of scientific or in engineering industry, and how to um, really stay true to who they are and be who they are truly in front of um, you know any interviewer so that they can understand what it's like to uh, just jump into a business that doesn't necessarily have that sort of inclusion and be uh, the change, be the change there. Yeah. And, you know, Mark, the, the crazy thing is Alicia and I, we try to do everything as a team. We try to move as a unit, yeah. you know, and when she's uh, speaking to somebody about getting on a technical panel um, on a conference, you know, sometimes I'll say, hey, tell them that I want to talk about diversity and inclusion. Mm hmm. Man, they, they swat that down like a fly. They don't even want that discussion in the room because mm -hmm. uh, there's too many people. You know, history is highly manipulatable. You can manipulate history any way you would like. Um, and, and it's all in the same tone. I could write a paragraph, and if you read it with one tone, and if I read it with a different tone, 
it could come across two completely different ways. And, and, and that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of the problem with a lot of the, the foundation of what we're talking about right now is that people's historical value of where to place all this stuff in their brain is far too connected to individual experience. Like, oh, well, I don't believe in white privilege. I've never been privileged. I grew up in the trailer park. Oh, yeah, well, guess what? So did I, dude. Um, it, it doesn't work like that. It's not this individual stab at people individually. It's an overall, it's an overall issue, you know, uh, the, the type of privilege yeah. that we're talking about. It literally comes out of thin air from, from things that happen that you have nothing to do with. And mm-hmm. if it offends you personally, it's because somebody's reading the paragraph to you with, with a certain tone. And you should, you should be careful of that. Mm. I have a great example of, of That's the good. privilege uh, aspect. Um, I was once working for a company in a director role uh, where, you know, again, there was this, uh, this entity that was similar to a boys club. And I remember uh, specifically going to the CEO because we, we had a COO role, but there was no one sitting in that seat. And I looked at it as, you know, an opportunity to be groomed for that role since, you know, obviously I'm managing operations. It would make sense that I would, you know, work my way up to being the chief operating officer. Um, so I, I'm very adamant mm-hmm. about having conversations about uh, things that I want to do or uh, places I want to go or, or things I see changing in a business. And I, I approached this person and I I told him, you know, about my interest for the role and, you know, I would love to be considered for this a couple years down the line um, after, you know, I prove myself and show you, you know, all of the things I'm bringing to the table. And what's crazy is, you know, he looked to be um, very engaging and was like, yeah, that would be great. You know, it it just makes sense. And then two months later, um, I guess he was, you know, director of compliance, had no experience in managing operations, no experience in scientific uh, techniques like myself. There was a backdoor promotion, literally a backdoor promotion uh, behind everyone's back of this one person to the COO role. And it was just such a slap in my Mm. face because this person was a a good friend of the CEO from back in the day in high school and just, you know, came on to the license to work with him and built this thing out. And it just, it it really deflated all sorts of, you know, encouragement and optimism that I had just not only in the company, but just in the industry as a whole, like, you know, how can something like that happen? Like, how is that even okay? If the guy was capable of the position, you know, that's one thing, you Mm -hmm. know, you know, we don't hate on somebody getting, getting an up and getting a promotion, but this dude was literally capable of picking boogers and going fishing. (laughs) Like, And his, his main thing was to leverage everyone else that was considered a subordinate of his. And I always ask the question, you know, if you're spending eight hours, 10 hours a day leveraging everybody else, yeah, then what, what is yeah, it what that you you're do? actually doing yeah, in your do, role? You do? <laughs> yeah. So on one hand, it's wrong. It's frustrating. It's painful to go through something like that. And then on the other hand, it's like, well, I don't want to be working with those exactly. people anyway. Like once you find out who they really are, it's like, oh, no. Exactly. This is not good. So, so we live, we learn, and we try to make the world better. And I really appreciate that you two have a voice and you're speaking to these issues. Chris, you sound like a writer and you're doing some writing. 
Um, so hopefully people are going to look up that article. What was that oh, article? It was for the Cannabis again? Scientist magazine on diversity and inclusion. Um, Great. I bet if we Googled your name, maybe we I'm might not be able as popping as Alicia is on the old Googs, but, <laughs> but you, you just might find it. Yeah. Especially if you type in cannabis scientist magazine with my name. Yeah. You would absolutely find it. And that's Chris Ratliff, R A T L I F F. And Alicia, where can people find you online? Well, uh, one of you? the first places would be LinkedIn. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I uh, Chris usually manages, um, you know, a lot of our Victus account stuff. So um, a lot of the Victus stuff will go to him. But um, if you want to find me, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram, um, Google. You can just Google my name and you can find um, all the publications that I've been a part of um, have a, a quite a few technical articles out there now. Um, and this year, I have a couple more that are in with editors uh, currently. So those should be coming out in the next couple of weeks. And um, yeah, you can Google uh, the Cannabis Scientist. I come up with them as well. Um, I'm actually really pleased that uh, today it, it was released, um, the 2021 Power List. And I've been named as one of the inspirational mentors with uh, the Cannabis Scientist. So I was really excited about that. So I'm sure that'll pop up as well if you were to Google my name. Thank you. Ooh, congratulations. And I don't think you mentioned anything about the hemp science program at Cornell University you're involved with. Oh, what's, yeah, what's going so on the over hemp there? science program. I'm super excited about this one. Uh, we had um, a, a representative from Cornell reach out to us on our website. Um, they actually, um, they, they were a participant in one of the uh, webinars that I did for Canvas Conference last year regarding um, processing facility buildouts. And they were pretty impressed with um, just the, the level of knowledge that the Victus team has. Um, so we've been in talks with them over the past few months on, uh, you know, curating a, a board of some sort to work with them, um, the educators, and also people like ourselves that are working in the industry and are considered, you know, subject matter experts. And we um, have a couple of lectures that are coming up with them um, for their hemp science program to talk to their students about um, cultivation. Uh, Chris will be talking about cultivation. I'll be talking about processing and extraction and um, analytical uh, chemistry as well. So uh, we're really excited to be working with them to uh, just help to build out this next generation of scientists that are uh, coming online. I'm really excited about a lot of the innovation and technologies um, that are coming out. So we, we're definitely going to need some smart people to run the machines. Absolutely. That is exciting. Cornell University is uh, very well known. So I'm, I'm kind of surprised that they're oh, jumping yeah. into cannabis. Right yes. hemp, hemp. I don't, I don't want to get them. In trouble. Okay, for sure. <laughs> well, hopefully, yeah, hemp right. is it the first is. foot in. Absolutely. Um, and now you two are based mm -hmm. in Florida, Jacksonville, right? What's going on with the cannabis laws oh, well, in you know, Florida? Florida has been a very interesting market. I, I feel like a lot of um, companies have had their eyes on Florida for a long time. And it's it's actually, to me, it's been a little bit untouchable uh, for a little bit. When, when they started up their program in uh, mid to late 2016, um, like I mentioned before, there were uh, about five major licenses uh, that were awarded by the DOH. 
And those licenses had to be vertically integrated, which you have to have a large capital investment to do so. Um, So when those companies came out of the gate, they really hit the ground running. And you have, you know, Cureleaf here, you have, um, you know, Trueleaf is the front runner here in Florida. Um, They're really innovative with their product line. And there's been a lot of change in the laws. You know, uh, we're still a medical market. Um, and when they came online about 2016, 2017, there were quite a few contingencies to the law to where, you know, you couldn't sell flour, um, you couldn't sell things like edibles. Um, there was a lot of regulation around vape carts. Um, but now you're starting to see a lot of that um, lacks away as the market matures and you have flower sales happening. You have um, quite an array of edible options and offerings. You have um, additional uh, conditions that have been listed um, with the laws as far as um, what's considered um, actionable for a medical card. Um, and then, you know, in my opinion, I think we're going to start to see um, a recreational market here in the next couple of years, whether that be through legislation or be through a vote. Um, but I think with Florida being such a big market, I mean, they have over 200 to 250,000 patients right now. Um, and that's huge compared to a lot of other medical markets. And, you know, with, um, you know, pre-COVID and Hopefully, once we start to see some sort of normalcy, um, the tourism here will ramp back up. And that's a big factor in recreational um, in adult use being legalized here. Um, So I'm pretty excited to see what's going to happen to Florida in the next uh, two to three years, especially with all the different um, products coming out. Like we have solventless products now hitting the market. Did they bring the vertical... Uh, licensing down to a horizontal market? Um, They do have a horizontal market um, considered for the hemp side. So we have hemp that's coming online too. Um, You have hemp cultivators at the uh, university level for research, and they're now starting to award licenses for processors that will process um, hemp biomass and create a CBD market here too. So it's really booming in my opinion, Mark. Yeah, because then you're going to have, you're going to be able to pick up your vape pen. You're going to be able to pick up a few joints and go to Disney World. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what they're going to do. I mean, I don't really condone smoking of any type, but I know people are going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they are. I and did. Didn't um, you used I to smoke? I actually got started out uh, pretty young smoking, and um, I was a everyday kind of guy, you know. Not just one time a day, you know, I was smoking like cigarettes because in Florida, especially Jacksonville, let me just speak for Jacksonville. And and I know Miami's kind of the same, you know, like whenever the legal industry came to Florida, most of us didn't care. Like, are you kidding me? What is that? I can like the whole street is a cannabis industry in Florida. The whole neighborhood, the whole city is a cannabis industry in Florida, man. On top of the fact that it was monopolized, so yeah. the product prices were really high. Yeah, really <laughs> high. So, like, it was really nothing to even, like, bat an eye at. We didn't care. Um, most of us now, the people who are, like, ever too scared to even ask somebody for some, you know, in the past, those are the people who become patients and and other people that just want to try more safe products. And that, mm-hmm. w- that would be me now, but I smoked um, maybe for like 22 years. I mean, I'm only 35. So, I mean, that just tells you kind of like how young I started smoking it. But uh, smoke of any kind is not good for the soft tissues of your body. Yeah. Period. It's just not. Um, And not to mention that the activation point of the THC, which is what most of us smoke for, is 
Uh, let's see. It's a two hundred to two fifty. Uh, I think it's a little Fahrenheit. more than that, but you know, we don't, we don't we don't pull our data up right now on the podcast. But <laughs> the, the point is, whenever you go to light that joint, the em- the burning embers on the end of your joint are burning at least five six times. Mm-hmm. It's five six times past the activation point of THC. So so if you don't know what those compounds are actually converting into, you you. The THC that you are getting is from from the flower that's maybe a couple inches back from the embers. Mm-hmm. And by that time, it's all, you know, wasted away by the smoke that's being drug over it. And, you know, just the more I started thinking about it, I just got tired of smoke in my body, man. I mean, honestly, I just I just got over it. Did you try yeah. other products, other cannabis yeah, products? Yeah, I got into Did you get into vaping at all? I, I wasn't really feeling that either, Mark. Um, now, right before I just quit altogether, um, I was really, really feeling the rosin. Yes. Like, I really was feeling like uh, vaping the rosin and our um, Puffco. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I felt like that was safer. Um, I felt like the result was what I was looking for mm-hmm. as somebody with a tolerance that was really built up. Mm-hmm. Um, Don't forget and, edibles, too. We, we, yeah. We've gotten a and chance to like try the edibles as well with yeah. uh, distillate infused. And it's, uh, you know, it's funny being a previous cannabis consumer and just kind of like off and on as a team. It's it's something that we are very uh, focused about finding the most healthy way to consume the yes. plant. Um, and, and what is that going to look like? You know, Chris talks about smoking. My experience was smoking here and there, but I, I liked edibles. I liked um, tinctures. Um, I deal with a lot of pain um, in my body just from different, you know, injuries in the past and, you know, female things that a lot of people don't talk about. And I've kind of turned myself into a case study, you know, when it comes to uh, menstrual pain and using topicals and how do those topicals work? How long does it take to affect you? And um, you know, is it safe? So we've been down this avenue, and I guess it's a Victus initiative, really, is to just find a more healthy and natural and just true to the plant essence as much as possible as we can when we do decide to consume. Sounds good. Chris, did you did you want to say more about um, what was your experience from going from smoking flour to oh, I love Puffco. But you know, part of the reason I, I used to have a big beard and a and a big mustache, and then sometimes I shave it off because I want to see that face that's under there. But when I when I had my beard and I was smoking a lot and I don't know, I, I I got tired of the way it made my mustache smell. I got tired of the way that it made my fingertips smell, you know, after twenty something years. I just got over it, you know. And and when I switched to the Puffco, it was like a miracle, man. It was like smoking a genie. It's just like, <laughs> give me my three wishes all in mm. one, you know? Oh. And you control the yeah, temperature. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Better. The activation point is, at least, if it's not right on, then it's at least way closer than, you know, almost 1,300 degree burning embers, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the temperature's far more on. Actually, I think, you know, my, my favorite, the most favorite experience I've ever had was with a volcano. Mm-hmm. And that's with a uh, dryer, mm-hmm. you know, um, back in the day, we, we, we had this experience where we had a pretty consistent um, supply of some very, very, very good stuff. 
we put it in the, the volcano one day in the back of this pizza shop. Um, <laughs> and I don't remember the rest of the day, but it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah the volcano has been around you know, a long I, time. I talked to a lot of uh, connoisseurs who smoked for a long time. And they'd never even heard of the volcano. I'm like, dude, I, I heard about that in like 2005. Yeah, that's when I was trying it. I found it to be very, very strong, very powerful, and didn't didn't really just kind of want one in my home because it was such an ordeal. But I'm a flower smoker. I smoke joints only. I don't really dabble in any other cannabis product mm-hmm. currently. Uh, that may change someday, but for now, it's it's helping meet my needs. You know, everyone's got a reason why they consume and. Mine's probably a little more medically based, um, but man, for all the people out there that are still relying on a glass of wine and getting drunk at night, like cannabis oh, yes. is such a great relaxing thing that, Say that again. is Absolutely. much less harmful. Yes. I haven't had a drop of alcohol in four years. I'm so proud of that. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's funny. Yeah. I don't drink really at all. If I try a sip of a friend's drink, I mean, I'm just like, oh, it tastes awful. You kind of develop a distaste for it after you're yeah, not absolutely. consuming alcohol for a while. Okay, let's circle back around real quick to diversity inclusion. I saw a meme online recently, and it was related to this issue of uh, in cannabis. And it showed like five people at the bottom on the next row up was four people on the next row up was three people on the next row up was one person and the person on top was white. And then the next line down was the executives and they're white. And the next line down is the managers and they're white. And the next line down was some of the front facing positions. And those were the, the women and the people of color. So I saw that going around and it was getting a lot of shares and a lot of comments. I'm wondering um, if you've seen, seen that in real before. life. <laughs> I haven't seen the meme, but man, does that resonate personally with us? Yeah, it really does. Yeah, it's 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 really frustrating to to know that we need so much more balance in this matter, and that each state is going to do their own thing. And I just feel like it may take a very long time for the dust to settle for right. And there's a lot of equity in this place. Sorry, but do you have any other plans? Yeah, go. No, I was going to say, did you have any other plans for diversity inclusion or any ideas for for this to progress at a better speed? Like, what kind of ideas would you have to to implement? Uh, well, I know or one recommend. of mine, I think, would be that it's mandatory for an investment group when they go to apply for their license. It has to be mandatory that you have someone of color, whether that be a female or a male, sitting on your board of directors. Um, because I do think that it's going to go from the top down. It's not going to come, you know, from from the bottom up. Um, and that's going to be a big changer. Uh, you know, when you look at a lot of investment groups, when you look at a lot of the boards of these cannabis companies, like you said, um, they're primarily Caucasian and they're pri- primarily Caucasian male. So I think, you know, um, if you were to insert those things at the application level, um, then that will mandate that there's a piece of diversity within the decision making process when it comes to deciding who are the consultants that you're going with. 
um, deciding who are going to be your your chiefs at the C-level running your company day to day. And how you search for them. And how you search for yeah. them and how you market to the communities that are going to be um, heavily minority based or uh, female based. And a lot of that, too, um, goes with building the company culture. Um, I think having, you know, opportunities like this and having opportunities with conferences to explain to um, new companies and new investment groups how to build a culture that's going to not only be attractive to females, attractive to minorities, but how to sustain that culture. Um, I think a lot of it is collaboration. A lot of it is, you know, um, really respecting people and what it is you're hiring them to do and really letting them do their job and, and uh, having a continuous monitoring on that to where you're checking in and you're checking the pulse of your company, but it really does come down to culture. And we have to break this uh, you know, boys club culture that's being built around a lot mm -hmm. of these businesses. And I, I really do think that that would help just having someone at that board level that's gonna interject that diversity right from the beginning. Yeah. And, and it's and it's also about creating awareness about that changed tone of history that I was talking about earlier, you know, and, and, and kind of being a little facetious, but also dead serious. Like I would never ask this question directly, but but there's ways to ask this question without saying it directly. But I would just ask somebody, Harriet Tubman or Andrew Jackson, go. <laughs> seriously, seriously, that, that, would, that would tell me a lot about you up front. Um, you know, cause, and, and I say that because of the whole, you know, discrepancy about people think you're trying to change history if you take Andrew Jackson off the $20 bill and you want to put Harriet Tubman on there. Well, personally, I think Harriet Tubman is, is, is a far greater good to have on some, have her face on the $20 bill than somebody like Andrew Jackson. Um, and, and again, the people who, who might would disagree, I respect your opinion, and we could talk about it and debate about it till the sun goes down, or we could just have a bad lip reading of history and see how that works out. Yeah, yeah. When I think of the limited amount of licenses, yeah. I think that that's part of the problem because these limited amount of licenses in many cases are getting given to the friends of the city council members. Um, and yeah, I, I know racism and privilege comes up in, in those instances a lot. I think if there was a lot more licenses that this issue here would, oh, would actually, yeah, I, I think evolve much faster. And I think a lot of that comes down to the, the state level um, at legislation when they're drafting the laws and rules around social equity and what that looks like. You know, you have markets that will draft rules around, okay, you need to have um, at least half of your ownership is, um, you know, obtained by someone of color or a female. Um, but then you're seeing companies literally pay people to put their name on the application so that they can get that expedition and get that jump in the line to be able to get that license. Um, that was seen in Ohio where there was a company that was, uh, their license was revoked because they found out that they lied on their application where they placed a black female as 50% owner um, in their company and that was not the case. She was nowhere to be found anywhere yeah. in um, their documents yeah. or, or anything like that. Um, and then on the flip side- no, you also, also in Ohio, Alicia, they had, the, um, they had it on the table for the 
uh, was an equity program mm -hmm. for the cannabis industry in Ohio. And it was stricken down twice because a company sued mm -hmm. and said, that's unconstitutional. You can't grant uh, X amount of percentage of licenses to underserved communities uh, because of something that happened during the war on drugs or something that happened 400 years ago, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Get, just getting into a conversation that really shows themselves. Yeah. But the sick part is they didn't even care because it was going to serve their purpose. And guess what? A judge struck it down twice and said, you know, us for us to create this equity program, it is unconstitutional because there is no history of racism in the cannabis industry because it's a new industry. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's so true. And then you have, you know, situations where, um, you know, there's a flip side to this, too. There's, uh, you know, there's people of color who come from affluent backgrounds and they are tied into, you know, city councils. They're tied into legislative bodies and regulatory bodies that are issuing the licenses. And they have the means to be able to, you know, schmooze the people and fill the pockets and say, hey, you know, we're going to be a social equity client. Uh, we're applying for this. Uh, but here's an extra, you know, 100000 on the side to make sure that we get this application. That's going on, too. Oh, thanks. Yes. Yeah, when you put money on the table, yeah. then that that gets people it is. to do and, things. And that's um, part of what needs the way to things be, are. Uh, really vetted. You know, um, when, when we talk about these social equity programs, you can't just talk about, you know, we're going to give all these licenses, X number of licenses to somebody of color, because there's definitely people of color who are bad. There's people of color who are um, capitalists purely at, by nature and are still screwing over the communities that are being hurt um, by this industry. And that really, there, there's got to be an agency or, or a body or somebody to look at those applications a little closer than, you know, their skin is the right tone. Let's give them a license. It's got to go deeper than that. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I also don't like lotto lottery choices for yeah. licensing. Absolutely. That is absurd to me. Absolutely. And easily, easily and, and corruptible. And again, like Mark, with all of these different tactics, all of these different rules that are put in place, it ultimately ends up just being there to continue the partial monopolies that are being built in this industry from market to market to market and keep the money flowing within the same sort of groups of people. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I love it. Both of you have so much wisdom and experience to share. I hope that governments, local governments, state governments reach out to you. You are, you know, you're not just a scientist. You're a, you have this business mind to yourself and the project management that you can do and your understanding of policies and law and the technical side of everything. I mean, it's just so impressive. You are, you know, you're going to get some really big contracts in the future. I think, I think you're going to not just help improve the industry, but be really successful for yourself. And I know you're going to pay it Absolutely. forward. And Amen. I know Thank we're going to be so talking much. again about Thank it. Thank you. Yeah, I love you guys, and I can't wait to talk with you in six months <laughs> because I think you'll be busy. And yeah, for for everyone listening, um, absolutely, uh, Alicia, can you share your out, website one website more time? Our website is www.victus v i c t u s 
victus-cv.com. That's victus-cv.com. Or you can find myself or Christopher on LinkedIn, and we're also on Instagram. Awesome. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. I hope you have a Absolutely. great Thank rest you of your week us, Mark. and Thanks, Mark. keep in day. touch. Thanks for tuning in to my cannabis podcast. If you enjoyed it, share with a friend, family member, or colleague so everyone can get informed on all things cannabis this 2021. We're also selling high-quality hemp cigarettes made in San Diego, so if you're looking for an alternative to traditional cigarettes, look no further. They're made in San Diego, there's no nicotine, tobacco, or added chemicals, and everything, even the box, filter, and paper are made from hemp. 